Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we are thankful again that we have this afternoon to be together and to look into thy word. And we pray, Father, that as thou has already fed us this morning with the truth, we ask, Father, that thou would continue to feed us this afternoon and that thou would give us the grace and the ability to put to action the things that we learn. Help us to retain these things, Lord, especially as we do them. And we pray, Father, for thy word to fulfill its will this afternoon in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the letter to Titus, Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> <clears throat> Titus is right after 2 Timothy. And put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. 
Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. This chapter that we have here in Titus is the final, the end of a letter that was written by Apostle Paul to Titus. And while this letter uh, provides us with additional information with respect to some of the um, matters with respect to um, the qualifications of leaders in the church. Um, it also speaks to the expectation that Apostle Paul placed on Titus with respect to his role as, uh, as an elder and as what what Titus should expect of the members of the church as far as behavior is concerned and the way they should live their lives. Remember that for us, we have the, the, the benefit of 2020 vision in that we can look at the scripture and we can very quickly, if we are diligent in our studies, come to, come to a picture of what Christianity should be, what it means to be holy, what it means, what is the expectation God has on the life of a Christian? What is it that we should be emulating? What is, should, what is it that our life should be representing? What is it that we should be doing? What actually defines Christianity? And also, it helps us to define what Christianity is in the context that we live in, because we, in particular, here in our Western society, we live in a big city. So what does that mean? How does, what does Christianity look like? in a big city? What does Christianity look like in our times where we live? Now, the, the basics of Christianity are going to be the same. It doesn't matter where you are in the, globe, in the globe, on the face of this earth, you're going to portray, and we can see this picture in the Bible, of, of the love of God. The love of God has to come forth because that is our ultimate objective. Our ultimate objective is to conform to the image of his son, and Jesus Christ was a living example of what it means to love his father by obeying him. Christ showed, demonstrated his love for his father by obeying his word, the words of his father. And we then emulate that love to God by obeying God's word. And the best way to obey God's word is to actually mimic our lives after the life of Jesus. And in the case of Apostle Paul, he would encourage because people wanted, wanted they, they weren't around when Jesus was around. And just like we are not around, we can read the Gospels, but not all the Gospels were written at the same time. So Apostle Paul had to write and give an explanation of, okay, well, this is what I mean by living a Christian life. So be a follower of me as I am a follower of Christ. In other words, emulate what, the way I am putting Christianity into practice. Watch the way I live. Look at the end of, my, of the results of my, of my conduct and then emulate it, copy it, follow it, apply it to your life. And, you know, we take that for granted because we understand this because we read the scriptures. But in their time, that was not so obvious. It was not so self-evident, particularly as the gospel spread throughout Europe or in, in the areas of the Roman Empire, people that came into contact with Christianity and, 
and heard the fascinating new story of the existence of God and the need for, for man to be just in the eyes of God and that there is no way man could be justified in the eyes of God but only by this act of faith, believing in the, in the sacrificial death of the Son of God. All those, that whole, that whole message of hope and salvation, you know, appealed to people that didn't know it. But once they embrace that message, then what? What does that look like in reality? What does that look like in my life? And that same question that they asked then, Apostle Paul uh, painstakingly, and God used him because he was a, clearly a, a gifted, he was a gifted individual. And God used him to be able to articulate, to communicate to us in ways that we can understand what it means to be a Christian. So we embrace Christianity. We embrace the message of love that God showed towards us by giving the, his son to die for our sins. We embrace that through faith. But then how does that manifest in the way we walk and live? So as Apostle Paul communicated to Titus that he should communicate to the church that these are the things that are expected of a body of believers. And in this particular chapter, it, just, it is preceded by some very clear instructions that, are, that, that Paul categorically divides into, the, into various demographics. So we have the aged man, we have the aged women, for example, that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their, or sober-minded, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And then they go on to young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded sober or to be sound in the mind. And he says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. And then it goes on to say that, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does this grace teach us when it appears to all men? It teaches us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So the grace of God has taught us that in the process of denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the example that Apostle Paul gave Titus to communicate to the believers is one where the experience of grace in that, in that experience of conversion, of being, of being regenerated, and that's where the third chapter comes in because he says, says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. So he's giving a picture of this is what we used to be. We used to be foolish. We used to be disobedient. We used to be deceived. We used to serve our own, our own lusts, our own diverse lusts and pleasures. We were living in malice and envy. We were hateful and we hated one another. 
Now, he's speaking in generalities here, of course, but it captures the essence of human-human interaction. And we can all relate that at one point or another in our prior to coming to know God, that we were in these things, that these things, in fact, were a description of part of our behavior. But it says here that after the kindness of, of the, and love of God, our Savior, uh, toward man appeared, then things changed. And in the process of change, we recognize that we need to deny we need to deny these things. We need to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In other words, there is, there's now a change in the mind, in the way we look at the world, in the way we see ourselves in the world. We are now very careful. We are very careful about the way we see ourselves. And then he says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. So Paul is instructing Titus that he should instruct the church that those that claim to believe in God should be careful to maintain good works careful to maintain good works and we already know from chapter 2 which I read that that we can show in our lives a pattern of good works by by in doctrine in other words in, in the way we teach the word of God but not just in the way because that can obviously apply to Titus and all teachers in the in in the church of God but it speaks to the way we actually live out the teaching of Christ that it's that it is lived out in a way that is uncorrupt. It is pure. It has integrity. In other words, when we say to our fellow man, when we share our faith and we make a declaration that we are Christians, our lives better be totally consistent with that declaration. There has to be integrity in that we are who we say we are. So in, in our teaching or in the way we live out our teachings of the truth, we should, be, we should have integrity. We should be integral. Gravity, which the word there in Greek really just means that the character that we exhibit or we portray to the world is one that is worthy of respect and honor by those that behold the way you live. So... It, it elicits a response of respect and honor, or, or, um, or in other words, we are seen as being serious about what we believe. So we can take the word gravity, which is explained um, in verse 7 in, in the lines of what is a pattern of good works, just like it was told to the aged man, that the aged man be sober, grave. It's the same idea that their life, our life, in the way we live out what we claim to be Christianity, it should, it should be consistent. It should be whole. So much so that when we say that we are Christian, people will at least respect that because they see it consistently lived out. They see your conviction, 
my conviction of Christianity consistently lived out in my life and in your life. And so that would be an example of a pattern of good works. So pattern of good works isn't just doing good things and then doing something that's inconsistent with what you just finished doing. It's rather a consistency that we live out a life that is worthy of respect and it is seen by others as a serious life. You are seriously concerned. You are serious about your declaration that you are a Christian. So they that believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. We need to place this in high priority. Now he repeats this again in verse 14 as he ends this chapter in this letter and he says let ours and you can you can translate ours as our people so he's again emphasizing to Titus tell our people tell the people that call themselves by the name of Christ tell our people to also learn to maintain good works so there's the element of learning we come to live out the, the life of Christ we learn to live his life and in doing so, we learn to, to maintain a pattern of good works for necessary uses or for urgent needs. That's what, how we can translate that. And that they be not unfruitful. That they be not unfruitful. So the pattern of good works is necessary to ensure that we are not unfruitful. And if we go back to the analogy that Christ gave of, of him being the vine and we being the branches that we cannot produce fruit unless we're connected to the vine. Without him, we cannot be fruitful. So we have to look for opportunities. And in fact, we don't have to look for opportunities. God brings us opportunities. We just have to be willing to be used. In this concept of maintaining good works, I just want to read a few verses that comes to mind here. Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Um, Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul was speaking to the Galatians here, and he's, he's saying to them that we ought to bear one another's burdens. So in other words, we need to, as being part of the body, we need to, be, be aware of the needs of each other. And we need to be willing to pick up the load where possible. So we have to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ was back in, in the Gospel of John. Jesus commanded his disciples, you know, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have loved one for another. So the, the, the law of Christ is to love one another. And one way we express that love is if we are cognizant, if we are aware of each other's needs. But being aware of each other's needs requires an awareness of our own, which is kind of interesting. It requires somewhat an awareness of who we are. And I often say this, who we are in the eyes of God. It's not who we are in our eyes, but it's who we are in the eyes of God. And so th there's always this check of who, where we are with respect to God. 
God's expectation is God's standard. And it's interesting because it says here right after, for if any man, so in other words, Paul is continuing the thought. He is saying, fulfill the law of Christ. Love one another by bearing one another's burdens. For, in other words, so now he's, he's sort of qualifying what this means. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So if I think myself to be something, and the context here is something in the sense of spirituality. If I think of myself to be someone spiritual, when I'm really not as spiritual as I think, then I am deceiving myself. And that is a really, that is a real serious, and it's a dangerous situation to be in. A dangerous situation to think that we are at a certain spiritual state when in fact we are not. And so how do we find that out? He says, well, let every man, but let every man prove his own work. So this is when we go back to what we read in Titus, that if we are to emulate this characteristic of Christ, we need to prove where we are in that continuum of growth. We are, we are, we, we are first born into the family of God as, as babes in Christ, and then we are growing. We're going through this continuum of growth as, we, as we are, our mind is being renewed, we are being transformed, and we're, and we're conforming to the image of Christ, to, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that's that continuum, and we want to know where are we in that continuum. We actually need to know. We need to know where we are. We need, to do, we need to do this self-evaluation on a regular basis. I need to do this self-evaluation. And it says here that let every man prove his own work. Where are we with respect to maintaining, being careful to maintain good works? With respect to being, being, uh, having integrity of our Christian walk, where are we? And it says, prove your own work, and then shall he have rejoicing himself alone and not in another. So what that means is that if I compare what I am doing in my Christian walk with respect to God's expectation for me, not with respect or in comparison to what another person is doing in their Christian walk. If I qualify, if I am coming close to meeting God's expectation, I can have that rejoicing in myself when I've made the right comparison. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to prove our own works, to make sure that proving is made in, with respect to a reference that doesn't change. And that reference is, is, is Jesus Christ, what he left for us. The reference is not us. It's not what someone else is doing or even what I think I'm doing. The reference is what the expectation is through Jesus Christ. Because in the end, every man shall bear his own burden. In other words, so this almost comes like a contradiction of verse 2 where it says, bear ye one another's burden. This is in Galatians chapter 6. But what he is saying is that we are going to be held accountable to where we should be in our walk. God is going to hold me accountable to where I am in this continuum of growth, of spirituality, of integrity as a Christian. When I make a declaration to my neighbor or to anyone else, whether it's at work or anywhere else that I come across to my fellow man, if I make a declaration who I am, then God is going to hold me accountable to whether I am actually consistent after I make that declaration. What about in my interaction elsewhere? 
Where else is that interaction consistent or not with God's expectation? And then it says here, um, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So Paul is saying there is a, there's a, a law of sums here. Essentially, God saying, you don't have to prove your own works, but whatever you are sowing, you are going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you are going to reap from that flesh corruption. If we are sowing to the spirit, we are going to reap everlasting life. And there's, we can't fool God, we can't deceive him, and we better not deceive ourselves. So in this self-evaluation of where we are, proving our own works, we have to also count what are we actually serving. So we talked about in, in Titus that there was a time when we were serving other things. It says here we were serving diverse lusts and pleasures. We were serving other things that appealed to us, that competed for our attention, that competed for our energy, that competed for our devotion. And it says here, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So the message is clear. We have to be careful to maintain good works. That's a given. It's stressed twice in the letter to Titus. It says, make sure our people, us, the brotherhood, fellowship, should be careful to maintain good works, especially when there are urgent needs. And we need to evaluate ourselves with respect to the standard and then have rejoicing in ourselves when we've made a proper evaluation and that we should not grow weary in well-doing because, because our reward is going to be spiritual. It's not, we don't think of rewards the way the world thinks of rewards. We don't think of rewards in the physical sense. We think of the spiritual when we are doing the will of God, when we find ourselves as servants in the hand of God, the reward is, is the privilege of being given the opportunity to serve God and to speak on his behalf to one another. And Apostle Paul said that in Corinthians. He says, what is my reward? If I do this, you know, if I have to do this, what's my reward? Well, my reward is that to me is committed just the commitment, just God giving us the privilege to represent him here on earth is reward enough, is reward enough. And may we strive for that. Yeah. Even the messages through prayer, God has encouraged us to, to be like him. He has commanded us to be holy like him and to exhibit the attributes of God. And that attribute of love is one of the most critical things that we need to exemplify in our lives and live out. Love and truth, the truth that is in the scripture and, and the love of God. May we be 
encouraged to take these things that we've heard today and put them into action in our lives during the week to come. And may God bless us. This concludes our service. Amen.